And uh, we're continuing our series, Teenager, and we're making our way through the book of Daniel. And um, we've been talking about in this series, if you haven't been with us, I'll catch you up really quick. Uh, We've been talking about in this series that you have everything you need to be used by God. You don't have to wait till someday God wants to use you today. And I think it's so important that you hear that because so much of life, especially where where you guys are at as young people, is everything you do is to get you to somewhere so that you can be useful to the world, right? Like go to school, get an education so you can get a good job and you can make something of your life, right? Like that's so much of our world that we live in. And what we kind of want to do is break through the noise a little bit and say that you have everything you need right now. You have everything you need right now. I just I want you to hear that because I think outside from these, this place, you might not hear that all the time. God wants to use you right where you are. And if you further your education, praise God. If you don't, praise the Lord. If you have a different path, if you're going to join the military or you're going to go right into a trade or you're going to do something like that, praise God. God wants to use you right where you're at. And so as you allow God to work in your heart and your life, you'll experience the fullness of what God has for you. And we've been looking at that through the life of Daniel. Daniel was a young man. He was a teenager, about 13, 14 years old. And his, he was taken from his home by the Babylonians, drug off into captivity and slavery into Babylon, where at first he was a slave, but God had his hand on him. God f- had favor for him. And very quickly, he went from a slave to working in the palace. And in the palace, he really became almost like second in charge. Um, and he was primarily in charge of uh, th- what they would call the sorcerers or the astrologers or magicians. Basically, um, they were there to help soothe the king. The king would get stressed out and they would try to give them wisdom and guidance in what's going on. Now, we have reached sort of the second section of the book of Daniel. Um, the first six chapters are chronological to the life of Daniel. What I mean by that is they happen in order. It's sort of like a Netflix series, like episode one, episode two, three, four, five, and six in order. Like you're not jumping around timeline-wise. It's just like Daniel was young. He got a little bit older. He got a little bit older. Like life just happened. And it started with captivity. Then he set himself apart. We've got that amazing verse in chapter one, verse eight, that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. And as a result of that decision, it was the decision before the decision. We talked about that. But that decision set himself up and set himself apart to experience what God had for him. And then ultimately he's elevated to a place of influence. And then we saw that Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. Towards the end, remember that story where the handwriting was on the wall? And that was the end of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians, they came in, they conquered Babylon, and now they set up their kingdom, their empire. And then Daniel becomes very quickly in charge in this other empire. There there was a king named Darius. This king, he made a decree because of bad counsel that if anybody prayed to anybody else except for through him, they'd get thrown in the lion's den. Daniel rebelled in Jesus' name and as a result was thrown into the lion's den, but God protected him and God delivered him. Now, chapter 6 ends, right? We ended chapter 6 a couple weeks ago. Chapter 7 picks up and it basically hits the rewind. 
It's like chapter six ends, chapter seven, it's like <laughs> lion's den, <laughs> fiery furnace, <laughs> all this stuff goes back. And you go back to the middle of the Babylonian empire. And basically what's happening is now we're going to get focused in on some of the things that Daniel did while he was in Babylon. Now, Daniel's ministry, not only was he called by God to set himself apart in the empire and to be used by God to influence and impact the nation, because we're told on multiple occasions that the kings of these empires made statements that they were to worship Daniel's God and Daniel's God alone. So, so Daniel would completely transform the culture of the, the empire that he was living in. But not only was that part of his ministry, he also had a prophetic ministry. And Daniel, his life was used to make prophecies about future events. Now, the Bible can be broken up into two types of prophecy. Ready for him? Two types of prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy and unfulfilled prophecy. Okay? This is important. There's prophecy in the Bible. Basically, prophecy is not like a crystal ball. They're not sitting down, and they're like, give me your palms. And they're like, okay. Oh, man, did you see a black cat this morning? It's not looking good for you. That's not the prophecy in the Bible. Basically, prophecy, as it works in the Bible, is God is outside of space and time like we understand it. God isn't going through a Thursday evening right now. God stands above time. God looks at it. I heard somebody say, like, you know how, have you ever gone to a parade? Anybody gone to a parade? Raise your hand if you've gone to a parade. Nice, most of us. You ever heard of a parade? Yeah, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> the parade, we go to a parade, and we sort of, we pick our spot in line. You know, sometimes if you're, like, super into parade, like, I can't wait to see this, you, like, make your way up to the front. Or if not, you stand in the back on your phone, and you're like, just tell me, Mom, when I can go home. Um, but a parade happens. You stand in one spot, and you watch sort of the parade unfold. That's kind of how we live our life. We, we stand in, in a sense in one spot, and just as things pass by us, as life goes by us, that's how we see it. Now imagine for a second, you got to go into the Goodyear blimp. Do you know what that is? Yeah. The Goodyear blimp? It's like pretty much at every sports game ever. Like how can it be everywhere at all times? Um, it's not God. Anyways, Goodyear blimp goes up, and the Goodyear blimp can see the entire parade from one vantage point, Correct. It's looking down at the parade. It can see SpongeBob in the front, and it can see Santa Claus in the middle, and it can see, am I describing the Macy's Day Parade? I don't know. Um, the, the, he can see the whole parade from one vantage point. And that's how God works. God is outside of time. He can see the end from the beginning, the Bible says. And so what happens is prophecy in the Bible is God will reveal future events to people in time and space like we are. Where God will say, okay, this is what is coming in the future. And there's, like I said, two aspects of prophecy in the Bible. There's fulfilled prophecy. In other words, it's history for us. It was prophecy for them. Right? So when they wrote it, it hadn't happened yet. And we can look back and say, oh, that happened. So there's fulfilled prophecy. And then there's unfulfilled prophecy. In other words, there's things that in our time still has yet to come to pass. And Daniel's ministry was both of those things, fulfilled and unfulfilled. And tonight in chapter 7, we're going to get in a little bit into chapter 8. Um, we're going to see both fulfilled and unfulfilled prophecy. I've titled this message, if you want to write it down, it's not just a dream. It's not just a dream. 
You ever woken up from a dream to be so thankful that it was, in fact, just a dream? Like, you're like, oh, my gosh, praise God, that was just a dream. I, I had one. This is so vain of me, and you can pray for me. But I, I woke up, like, about a month ago, and I had dreamed I shaved my head. And I kind of want to grow my hair long right now. And so I was really bummed that my head was shaved. And, like, I was like, oh, thank God. You can judge me, but it was a real dream that I had. And I woke up relieved that it was just a dream. Daniel has a dream or a vision but we need to understand that although the images that he sees were just part of the dream of the vision, what he is seeing, the events that are unfolding, it is not just a dream. I want to start in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, um, beginning in verse uh, uh, 17, because this gives us a sort of synopsis of what he sees in his dream, and then we'll go back and look at it. I'll have the verses on the screen. This is going to be from the NIV. We usually study the New King James, but I think the NIV uh, better describes these stories. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, this is the interpretation or the, the, the understanding of what he dreams. He says, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So, okay, before we go back, we'll read the story in just a moment. And you're going to be like, what is happening? What's happening is like he just described. He says the four beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever and ever. So four kings come to power, then the ultimate setup of the kingdom of heaven. All right, make sense? Now jump back to verse 1, and let's look at the story. It says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now again, we've rewound. Belshazzar was the same king that threw the party when the handwriting was on the wall. It's that king. It says, Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. And then four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. You following it so far? There's the water, wind stirs it up, and then all of a sudden four beasts emerge from the water and begin walking out of the water. Kind of a nightmare, right? Like that sounds terrifying. It gets weirder. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. So you've got this lion with eagle wings. All of a sudden, the wings are ripped off of it. It stands up on two feet, and the, the, the mind and the face of a person is given to it. Right? And you're like, this is so weird. Like, what did I have for dinner? Verse 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. Now, notice it looked like a bear. The same thing, it looked like a lion. It wasn't a lion and a bear. It just looked like it. Um, and then it says uh, that the bear, it was raised up on one of its side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, 
terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled them underfoot. Let's pause just for a moment. Um, anybody, any sci-fi nerds here? Sci-fi, like you like Star Wars and Star Trek and things like that? Okay, a few of you. Um, some people think that this, because of the iron teeth, was more like a robotic-looking um, beast. Sounds interesting to me. I can go with that. Um, so it's got like, you know, some Star Wars kind of vibes. Um, yeah, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. This is on the head of this fourth beast. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes, uh, the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. The New King James says the mouth spoke pompously. Picture like it like the horn on top of its head. Okay, pause. What is going on? This is the dream he has. Imagine you wake up from this dream and you're like, that was so weird and so vivid. <laughs> what is happening? Um, let me nerd out on you just for a couple minutes. I know this is not school, but let me give you a quick little history lesson. Is that okay? And basically what this vision is representing, and we'll look in a moment that somebody gives them this interpretation um, that I'll kind of explain. There are four beasts, we're told, that represent four kingdoms of men. And Daniel is prophesying about these kingdoms. The first one, we're told, lion with wings. Now, this is a reference to Babylon. And currently, at the time that he is writing this, remember, Belshazzar is king. This is in the height of the Babylonian empire. Now, Babylon, interestingly enough, was known to use a lion with eagle's wings kind of as their representation. You can go to the British Museum today and you can see from Babylon dating back all the way back to the time of Daniel a little image with a lion with eagle's wings. So it represents Babylon. It's very clear. Babylon, it was strong, it was powerful, it was also one of the most glorious and attractive. That's part of the reason why they like the lion and the eagle. It's two of the most glorious animals that we can think of, right? A lion, it's king of the jungle. Eagle, it's like America, and we're like, this is cool. And so you combine the two, awesome. Like put, put it like riding a Harley, and then you're like, this is a t-shirt idea. Um, so this is Babylon, it represents Babylon. Then we're told that after this, the, the eagle's wings are plucked out, and then ultimately there's a second, second beast. And basically what it's showing us is that the second beast would topple this first beast. The second beast, we're told, was a bear with one side raised up. This, again, is the Medo-Persian Empire, which we follow in the life of Daniel. Daniel is there with Belshazzar, the writing on the wall, and then the Medo-Persian Empire comes in, conquers Babylon, and sets up their kingdom. Now, we're told that this one side is raised up. The reason for that, and I know I'm starting to lose you already, just stay with me. It's really interesting. I'm going somewhere. 
But uh, the one side's raised up because ultimately the Medes were absorbed into the Persian Empire and the Persian Empire was the more dominant empire. And so Medes, they kind of disappeared into Persia and Persia was the king. So it started out as the Medes and the Persians and it became just the Persian Empire. Daniel's saying that's going to happen. This bear, it's raised up on one side because one side is the dominant side. Now, after that, we're told that there's this leopard with four heads that show up, and it conquers the bear. Now, this is a reference to Greece, the Greek empire, specifically to Alexander the Great. Anybody studied Alexander the Great yet in school? Alexander the Great. Um, he, they, they were represented by a leopard because of the quickness in which Greek conquered the world. Alexander the Great was 28 years old, when he conquered the entire world, and it took him about 12 years. He's 28 years old. It took him about 12 years to conquer the entire known world, faster than anybody could possibly imagine it taking. In fact, it only took him two battles to conquer the Medo-Persian Empire. Right, so, so the strongest empire that was known, they had conquered Babylon and everybody else. Alexander the Great shows up on the scene, beats him in two battles, and sets up his entire kingdom, the largest kingdom, in only 12 years. And then from there, we're told that this, this leopard had four heads because the kingdom was divided into four parts after the death of Alexander the Great and left to his four generals. If you study Greek history, you know that this is true. And Daniel chapter 8, verse 20, check this out, gets so specific. Listen to this. The two-horned ram... Now let me pause real quick because we're going to dive in quickly. Daniel chapter 8 kind of zeroes in um, a little bit more on... So the four generals, right, Greek divides up into four generals. Um, some of them are, it's all over the known world. There's two that the Bible chooses to focus on. The reason for that, one was just north of Israel, the other was just south of Israel, and they constantly fought one another. And Israel being right in the middle, so the Bible chooses to focus on the ones that are right in the middle. Um, the main guy that was from the north, he wanted to conquer ba uh, uh, Egypt below. His name was like... Uh, Antichius, Antichius, uh, what is it? I can't remember. Ask me afterwards. I have it written down somewhere. Whatever the case, these two battles are taking place, and uh, Daniel chapter 8 zeroes in on those two generals. Does that make sense? Kind of whatever. Verse 20 says this, though. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replace the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation uh, but will not have the same power. Now, notice this. Daniel's writing this way before Alexander the Great is even born. Hundreds of years before, right? And he says that, hey, this guy's going to show up. Greece calls it by name. says Greece is going to show up. It's going to be led for a little while. It's going to be super strong. It's going to be divided into four parts. They're not going to be quite as strong. So the leopard with the four heads represents Greece and ultimately the four generals that would come after it. And then finally, the fourth beast, we're told that it was terrifying. Right? That's all it says. It doesn't give us an animal like it's kind of got robotic features maybe. We're told that it was terrible and frightening. And this represents the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire which would come up after Greece. And it would be the strongest, the largest, and the longest lasting. And it's when Jesus enters on the scene, the Roman Empire is at large. Correct? 
Jesus was put to death through crucifixion, which was a, a, a murder scheme designed by the Romans. They occupied Israel. So, basically, Daniel has this dream. He sees these four beasts, and those are the, basically what it's representing. It's the future. It's history as we look at it, right, in the past. Then it transitions in the, in the text, we'll look at it, onto that little boastful horn, right? So there's, there's this horn that's on the top. There's ten horns on the top of the horrible beast. And then all of a sudden, one tiny one with a mouth and eyes pops up. And Daniel, like all of us, are like, what's going on with that little horn? He literally asks it. Um, look at verse 9 of chapter 7. Uh, he says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, come out, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands attending him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn that was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and, it body, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So he continu the dream continues where this, the Ancient of Days, he calls him, which is God the Father, comes down, sets up his kingdom forever. So we got the kingdoms of man, they come and go, then God sets up his eternal kingdom. And then Daniel stands up and he asks a question. Uh, he, he, he's, there's a, somebody nearby him and he basically raises his hand. He's like, excuse me, I'm very confused. Like, I'm super lost. What is going on? And he's like, can we talk a little bit more about that little horn? And the guy responds. He gave me this explanation. He says, the fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the early ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws, speaking really specifically of the temple. In Israel, the holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. People think that's about three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time. Um, we should start measuring it like that. How old are you? Well, I'm a time, a time, a time, a time, a half a time, and a time, a time, a time, time, time. Um, it says, but the court will sit. Listen to this part. It's amazing. The court will sit, and his power will be taken away completely, destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale but I kept the matter to myself. So he wakes up from the dream, and he's like, I think I'm going to be sick. That's basically what happens. Now, the little horn is what he focuses on, right? So there's a four beast, and he's like, cool with that. 
He's like, oh, yeah, that's Babylon. Oh, yeah, that's the Medo-Persian Empire. Oh, yeah, that's Greece. Oh, yeah, that's going to be Rome. He's cool with that. But he's like, what about that one, like, little, like, boastful, pompous horn? Can we talk about that? <laughs> What's going on? And we're told that this horn shows up, and he says that it is a person that will come to power, and it will make a really charge against the elect. It will come against the followers of God and against God himself trying to corrupt things. Now, I mentioned before that we have fulfilled prophecy, and we have what? Unfulfilled prophecy. The, the Babylon, Greece, uh, Medo-Persia, and Rome is all fits in what category? Fulfilled, right? Because we learn about it in our history books. And you're like, yeah, bored me in history, and it's boring me now. It's history. It's behind. But then Daniel, at the exact same moment, transitions, and he begins to, to speak still, in, still prophetically, but we look at still as prophecy. We haven't seen it happen yet. Primarily with that little horn and the things that happen, and then ultimately what he tells us, the setting up of God's kingdom forever. Can I ask you something? Has God set up his kingdom on earth forever yet? Yes or no? No. No, right? There's still sin. There's still pain. There's still heartache. There's still disappointment. There's still struggles. We know that we have not yet seen God's kingdom set up eternally on earth. So that is future. And then there's this one horn that's going against God and the people of God. And Daniel's like... Who's that guy? What's going on there? Now, this is what the Bible would call, he is speaking of who the Bible would call the Antichrist. You heard the Antichrist, this name before? Now, the Antichrist really comes along uh, in the book of Revelation. It talks about him throughout. But he is a character, a person that will come to power on planet Earth. He will unite the kingdoms of men. Somehow he will make it where all the fighting with North Korea and Russia and America and all the and Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and all those craziness that's going on. Somehow this dude's going to show up and create peace with everyone. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, this guy's awesome. There's peace with everyone. But ultimately he's going to use that power to corrupt and be everything that is anti-Christ. What he says specifically, he will try to uh, disrupt and derail the laws and the plans of God, desecrate the temple, things like that. He is a real person. He's a real character. He has not happened yet. And most people believe that the rapture of the church will happen sometime before the Antichrist comes to power. We don't need to get into that. We'll get into that as we continue. I want you to notice one verse real quick. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says this. Little children, it is the last hour, uh, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Notice that it is capital Antichrist is coming. It's speaking of the same little horn, this character. He says, even now, this is important for us, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Let me say this and we'll move on. We live right now with the spirit of the Antichrists in our world. Now, Antichrist kind of sounds scary, doesn't it? But the word anti means against and Christ means Jesus, right? So this idea is anti against Jesus. The world that we live in right now, for the most part, is anti-Christ. 
If you stand up in your classroom tomorrow and you say, Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except for me, people will probably start throwing stuff at you. Because we live in a world today where, where yourself, self is God, where I just do whatever I want, I'm happy, if I feel it, if it makes me happy, that's cool. We also live in a world where people believe that all roads lead to heaven. If you want to go that way, if you want to go this way, kumbaya, do your thing, we'll see you in the great cloud in the sky. And there is this thing that is anti-Christ. And the reason that it is anti-Christ or against Christ is because it goes against the very teaching, the very way of Jesus, which is so clear. Where Jesus said that no one comes to the Father, which that is a scary thought. No one comes to the Father except, he says, through me. Jesus isn't being intolerant or hateful or against. What Jesus is saying is, there's, hey, there's a right way to get there. And there's only one right way to get there. Right? Like if you decide, I've used this illustration before, but if you decide that you want to come over to my house and you go to 60 and you turn right and you start going to the beach, you will not get to my house. My house is in the other direction. And for me to like send you a text and be like, hey, buddy, you're going the wrong way, isn't hateful, right? It's because I actually want you to come over and hang out. And so the, the Bible is very clear. Jesus is very clear that this is the way that we can have relationship with God. Those other ways are not the way. And so we live in a world that is anti or against Christ. Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk too much about that. That's enough. There's two things I want to talk about and they'll be done. And this will go really quick. Number one, you could write this down. Fulfilled prophecy gives us faith for unfulfilled prophecy. This is important that we understand this. Because we looked at this. A lot of you guys' eyes are glazed over and you look totally out of it. It's okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Fulfilled prophecy, we can look back in history, right? I mean, we just geeked out for like 15 minutes about all of this history stuff. And you're like, yeah, some of that, I remember sleeping through that in one of my class periods. We can look back on that, and Daniel wrote about it. History proves it, the time of Daniel's writing. Daniel wrote about it hundreds of years before these things would happen. It wasn't a lucky guess, right? Daniel wasn't like, eh, let's bet. I'm just going to take a chance. We'll see what happens. No, Daniel, through the Spirit of God, was able to foretell, prophetically speak, about what happened. And the fulfilled prophecy, what we can say is history, gives us faith for the unfulfilled prophecy. So the parts that he writes about that we haven't experienced yet, we can be confident that they will happen because of what has already happened. Does that make sense? That, that uh, fulfilled prophecy gives us faith for unfulfilled prophecy. All of that to say, what I want you to understand is that God's word is truth and God's word means what it says. And we live in a world and a culture that is Truth is relative. Truth doesn't matter. Find your own truth. Allow me to speak my truth. And let's do our own thing. In a world of that, God's word is truth. God's word is final. And listen, God cares about your life. God cares about your life. God knows what's going on in the world. He wrote about a lot of it before it ever happened. God knows what's going on in the world. He knows what's going on in your life, both big and small, and God's involved. 
and fulfilled prophecy should give us faith for unfulfilled and should give us confidence in the word of God and in the plans and the truths of God. Let all the confusing beasts and Medo-Persia and all these things remind you that God is true, God's word is truth, and God has a plan for your life. The second thing in worship to me, you guys can come up here. You carry the kingdom of heaven. You carry the kingdom of heaven. You should write that down. You carry the kingdom of heaven. Now the main theme and takeaway from these chapters are that the kingdoms of men come and go, but God's kingdom is forever. That is pretty much the main theme that we see from Daniel in this chapter. He says, the kingdoms of men come and go. I'll give you four. He's like, Babylon, gone. Medo-Persian Empire, yeah, they lasted a little while, gone. Greece showed up, that leopard with four heads, came quickly, conquered everything, and then Rome showed up, gone. And then Rome, no, I mean, we can, we can go there, probably, maybe get a slice of pizza or something, but Rome is not the superpower in the world today, right? Because kingdoms of men, they come and go. And I think pause for a moment and say that we need to recognize that the kingdom of men is not going to be our ultimate salvation. So we look at, and we live in an empire today, the American empire. We wouldn't call it that, but it definitely is um, because of its power and its military force and because of its influence and because of its wealth. We definitely live in an American empire. We can say that that is not our salvation. Whatever happens in the election, whatever happens in our future, whatever happens next, we don't trust in the kingdoms of men because the kingdoms of men come and go. We trust in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of men, what we see is that it's wicked, it's scary, it's self-serving, it's corrupt, it's temporary. Now, I'm going to geek out for just another moment. Sorry. It's just cool. I like this stuff. Anybody like this stuff? Hopefully. Um, Thank you. Um, But if you you remember in Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this giant statue, and it's beautiful. It's a statue with the head of gold and the shoulders of, of, I think it's bronze or something. I can't, silver maybe. I can't remember. And then it's got the, the legs of whatever and the ten toes. Um, some people think it's the same re- reference to the ten horns that are on. Um, but remember Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel's interpretation of the dream is the exact same interpretation to this dream with the four beasts. Exactly the same. It's the four kingdoms. Ultimately, God sets up its kingdom forever and ever. What's interesting, and some people will say that, that the Nebuchadnezzar's dream is basically man's perspective on the kingdoms of men. Where you're looking at the kingdoms of men, and it's tall, and it's glorious, and it's splendor, and it's this amazing statue, and oh my goodness, look at that. And then Daniel chapter 7 is heaven's perspective of the kingdoms of men. And it's these disgusting, vile beasts that slop out of the water with these weird, like, things hanging out of its mouth and on its back. And heaven's perspective is basically calling it as it is and saying the kingdoms of men are not all they're cracked up to be. It looks like it's all this splendor and greatness and it has all the answers. But in reality, from heaven's perspective, it's corrupt, it's temporary. On the other hand, we have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of community and others, a kingdom of perfection and joy, a kingdom of 
of acceptance and approval and life change and transformation and glory to glory and grace to grace and it's eternal. The kingdom of heaven is eternal. And listen, this is what I want us to understand. We live in the kingdom of men, but we carry the kingdom of heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Jesus said, Luke chapter 17, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. You, as a follower of Jesus, are to carry the kingdom of heaven with you. What does that mean? It means justice. It means love. It means forgiveness. It means acceptance. It means transformation and growth. It means I'm here with you. It means I'm not going to abandon you because you've screwed up. It means that I want to walk and see this thing through to the other hand. We carry the kingdom of God inside of us, and we are, as the Bible would say, heaven's ambassadors where we can represent the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Verse 18 of, of chapter 7, I love this. I'll read it again. It says, but the holy people of the Most High, that's you and me. The New King James says the saints. The holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. We can receive the kingdom of heaven. We carry the kingdom of heaven and we represent the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom is men. They come and go. Rise of another empire, fall of another empire. The kingdom of heaven, it's forever. And when God establishes it, it will reign forever. But in the meantime, we carry the kingdom of heaven here and now. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray. The worship team.